Let's get into message time. We're in a series that we're calling Nope, Not Today, Satan. Say it with me. Nope. Not today, Satan. And we're putting a foot down and we're saying, Satan, we are tired of you winning these battles. We're putting our foot down. You are not going to take control of my life. For those of you that are new and to get the wheels turning for all of us, we established last week that there are really only two options as you start to define your belief systems and the foundation for your life. One option is, of course, uh, Satan who came to steal, kill, and destroy. The other option is Jesus who came to give us life and that life in all its fullest. And that's really the only options you got. You got Christ or culture. You got, you got the word or the world. Those are the only two options that are available. And here's how Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. Here we go. One, two, three, go. Be strong in the Lord and in his great power so that you can fight against the devil's evil tricks. Do you see two options there? Do you see two? The Lord has, hello, are you out there? The Lord has great power. The devil has evil tricks. Which one do you think is going to win in the end? Great power wins over evil tricks every time. The problem is Satan knows he's defeated and he's going to try to take as many with him as he can on the journey. And so he continues to win battles. And I'm sick and tired of him winning battles for the souls of men. And so in this series, we're learning his tricks. We're learning his schemes. And we're learning how to combat those things and win over those things. The good news is Satan's only got three. Uh, he's not creative. He doesn't come up with new stuff all the time. He's only got three tricks, and last week we introduced them to you. Uh, so if you didn't get that message, go to, go to the website and, and walk through it. But he's only got three. He used those three in the Garden of Eden against Adam and Eve and succeeded. He tried to use the same three again uh, with Jesus before he started his, his uh, uh, public ministry, but this time he utterly failed. Both times, he put them in a position to choose the word or the world. Adam and Eve chose the world because Satan said, oh, come on, did God really say that? I mean, do you really, you really believe what he said? So he went to the word, and Eve said, no, I don't believe what he said. I believe he's holding out on us, and she chose the world instead. Jesus, on the other hand, said, the scriptures say, worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so Jesus chose the word, and the result was he won, and we can win with the same power that he won with. So that's the journey is to learn what, what the tricks are and to understand what we can do to overcome. So let's just rehearse it, and we're going to get into today's message. Here we go. Got a chart together. Uh, there's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's all he's got. Modern psychology calls that hedonism, materialism, narcissism. More common terms that we use are things like pleasure, possessions, and position. And so week by week, uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about those three schemes and how do you deal with them so that you don't fall prey to his tricks and schemes. Today, we're talking about pleasure and specifically how does Satan use pleasure to steal, kill, and destroy. So let me just be real clear right up front. I want you to lean in. If you've tuned out, come back. Uh, I, I want you to hear this. At no point is anybody saying that pleasure is bad. So your head's like this. We're not saying that pleasure is bad. In fact, God gave us the ability to enjoy pleasure. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
God wants you to have pleasure. He gave you <coughs> five senses so that you could enjoy pleasure. You have the ability to smell that, that favorite meal that's being cooked. You have the ability to see that sunset uh, that, that's just so incredibly beautiful. You have the ability to touch a baby and to feel the warmth or to touch your spouse and to enjoy those pleasures. It's appropriate to have pleasures. The problem is when you don't put pleasure in the right context, it moves from being a good thing to being a, a little lowercase God thing that pulls you away from the God who came to give you life. The sad reality is that far too many people are, are, are confused about that, and Satan's been using this trick to wreak havoc in our world for far too long. Read 2 Timothy chapter 3 with me, okay? There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that sound like today to you? It does, doesn't it? The tragedy is that far too many people have fallen prey to his tricks. But lest we pick on the culture and not talk about ourselves, the real question today is how much influence does the culture have over me? How much have I allowed the culture to affect me, my family, us, hear me, guys, we're all susceptible to thinking that says, I just want to be happy. I just want to feel good again. I mean, it's human to have those kinds of feelings. Uh, and yet, uh, it can be a trap when we don't understand what Satan is doing. Let, let me ask it this way. Is it easier to get Christians to come to a prayer meeting or a free dinner? I'll rest my case. <laughs> So in the few minutes we've got today, what I want to do is I'm going to give you two keys to avoiding Satan's pleasure trap. Just two keys, simple keys, that will help you avoid his trap. But first, I want, to, I want to make sure we know why it's important. Those of you that know me know that one of my pet peeves is for a preacher to tell me what I ought to be doing, but not tell me how to do it. But I also want to be sure you understand why this is so critical. So let's just take a minute. We'll talk about the why this is such an important battle to win, and then we'll wrap up with two keys to avoiding Satan's trap. Let me just give you four reasons why. There's plenty of them, but let me give you four. One is overemphasizing pleasure blocks my growth. Overemphasizing pleasure blocks my growth. Jesus put it in terms of, fa of a farmer sowing his seeds. Luke chapter 8, verse 14. There are those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the pleasures of this life, and so they will never grow into maturity. The bottom line of that is that whether we're talking about an individual or we're talking about a nation, whether we're talking about the lifestyles of the rich and ridiculous or we're talking about Skid Row Bum living for his next fix, if you're living for pleasure, you're not growing to maturity. Bottom line. The second reason we need to address this thing is that overemphasizing pleasure causes conflict in our relationships. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Is that true? How many of you ever watched two kids fight over a toy when there are a hundred toys around them? But which toy do they want? They want the one that the other kid has. That's what we do. Aren't you glad we grew up and stopped that? That you never in your marriage, you, you never fight over how we're going to spend this little bit of money we found. There's no argument over we're going to buy a boat or a refrigerator. I mean, it's just never, that's never an issue for us at all, right? Hear me, guys. Anytime pleasure takes priority over people, conflict is coming. 
overemphasizing pleasure then blocks our growth to maturity. It creates conflict in my relationships. It tempts me to do wrong. It tempts me to do wrong. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. Moses chose uh, to be tr- mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. You- you've heard the expression, man, that guy's ugly as sin. You-, you heard that one? I didn't say look at him. Come on. What are you? Church. The problem with that expression, first of all, it's not very nice to say. The second problem is that sin isn't ugly. If sin was ugly, nobody would do it. If sin was a bummer, everybody would say, forget that. It, the scriptures are honest about this thing. There is pleasure in sin. What's the rest of the sins? For a season. In other words, you get your kicks, but you get your kickbacks. There's always a kickback from sin. And so we're tempted to draw into this. What I need you to understand is that when pleasure becomes your number one goal in life, you need to expect more and more and more kickbacks and eventually more kickbacks than kicks. And yet it still has an immense appeal for all of our lives. So I'm overemphasizing pleasure costs. It blocks my growth to maturity. It causes conflicts in my relationship. It tends me to do wrong. But the bottom line is it ultimately leads to death. It ultimately leads to death. Say it with me. It leads to death. One more time. It leads to death. In fact, there's two steps to death that come when we start overemphasizing pleasure. The scriptures say the first step is boredom. Solomon went through a season when he fell into Satan's trap, and he describes his journey in, second, uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 when he says this, I said to myself, I'll try having fun. Anything I saw and wanted, I got for myself. I did not miss any pleasure I desired. But then I looked at what I'd done. I realized it was just a waste of time like chasing the wind. You can almost hear the boredom in his voice. I went after pleasure with a vengeance. Everything I saw and wanted, I went after it, and I got it. And when I had it, I went, la-di-da, big deal, whoop-de-doo. What's the deal here? Understand, God established some laws in the universe when he created the universe. And those are immutable laws. In other words, they don't change. You, you can't violate these laws. These, violate, they, these laws are laws. They're not just ideas or suggestions. They're laws. For example, the, the law of gravity. Is the law of gravity true? What does the law of gravity say? What goes up comes down, right? And so you can say, I don't believe in the law of gravity. Does that change the law? It doesn't, does it? You can step out of an airplane without a parachute. What's happening? The ground is coming. You can pass somebody in a parachute and say, hey, how you doing? Well, pretty good so far. It's kind of pretty out here. The wind's kind of windy, but other than that, but the ground is coming because the law of gravity is true whether you believe it or not. The law of inertia is another one of those. What's the law of inertia say? You know that one? The bodies in motion tend to stay in motion. Bodies that are still tend to stay still. You know that one's true because the last time you thought about going to the gym, you changed the channel. I mean, that's just the law (laughs) of inertia is true. Whether you like it or not, want it or not, it's just absolutely true. Well, when it comes to pleasure, there are a couple of laws you need to know. One of them is the law of diminishing returns. The law of diminishing returns says the more you do something, the more you have to do it 
in order to get less and less response. Does that make sense? I mean, whether we're talking about skiing or climbing or drinking or drugs or roller coasters. You ride a roller coaster, and that's exciting. You ride it two or three times, and it becomes ho-hum. So what do you have to do? You've got to find a bigger roller coaster. You've got to find a higher roller coaster in order to get less and less return from it. The law of diminishing returns says that you have to do more and more in order to get less and less. Now, that's not entirely bad. God made that law on purpose. Because he put in us this desire to, to improve, to grow, to, to not just stay stuck in status quo, to expand. The problem is when you apply it to pleasure, overemphasis on pleasure eventually leads to boredom. And the drive for pleasure uh, becomes all-consuming. The second law you need to know is, is the law of balance. <laughs> and the law of balance goes something like this. Even too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing. Is that one true? You, you ever been on vacation and come back and a friend said, how'd it go? And you said, man, we had a blast, but I am glad to be home. We had a good time, but I'm ready to get back to my routines. You see, even, even a good thing, when you have too much of it, ultimately becomes a bad thing. And so when it comes to pleasure, you've got to remember the law of diminishing returns and the law of balance it's, it's incredibly important because part of what makes, in, makes pleasure pleasurable is, is balance. In fact, the most miserable people I know are the people who live for pleasure. I mean, they're living for the next party. Their whole life is defined by the next fun event. And even they will find themselves in quiet moments at the bar or at a party, and they're sitting, and the noise is, is loud, and the music is loud, and everybody's having a grand time drinking and all kinds of mess, and they find themselves staying there physically but mentally pulling away and finding themselves thinking to themselves, there has got to be more to life than this. Please tell me there's more to life than this because ultimately the law of diminishing returns and the law of balance are true whether you choose to believe them or not. And that's because we need balance and perspective and, and pleasure. Without it, it becomes boredom and in time, it becomes dead man walking. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6, the one who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Read the litany of movie stars who have made money and made movies and got fame until they finally came to the place that they said life isn't worth living and they ended it all. But hear me, you don't have to be a movie star to come to that place. You don't have to be famous or rich to come to that place to fall into the pleasure trap. So how do we avoid the devil's pleasure trap? I believe there are two keys to it. I'm just going to share those two keys, and I'll let you go. Um, and I want you to apply them, okay, as we continue in our journey to say nope to Satan. Key number one is find your real purpose in life. If you want to avoid this trap, you've got to find your real purpose in life. Hear me, God made us on purpose regardless of the circumstances of your birth. He made you on purpose with a purpose. And that purpose is greater than being entertained. 
That purpose is greater than experiencing thrills. That purpose is greater than just feeling good. And I know somehow that that almost sounds anti-American. I mean, the Declaration of Independence talks about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But hear me, guys. God never intended, nor do I believe our forefathers intended, that we become a society that's consumed with consuming that's why the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2, strengthen yourselves so that you will live here on earth doing what God wants, not the evil things that people want. Again, you come to those places in life over and over where you have to choose Christ or culture, the Word or the world. And you need to understand that when you choose Christ, when you choose the Word, culture, the world, is not going to let go easily. They're going to do their best to pull you back. So you have to ask yourself, do I choose to be guided by the word or the world? Do I choose to be guided by Christ or by culture? Because current cultural norms will do their best to pull you back into them. Here's what what Peter goes on to say about that. Look at verse 3, 1 Peter 4, 3. In the past, you've wasted too much time doing what non-believers enjoy. Before you came to Christ, before you chose Christ, before you chose the Word, you, you spent a lot of time being driven by the culture, doing what your fellow non-believers did and enjoyed. You were guilty of sexual sins, evil desires, drunkenness, wild and drunken parties, hateful idol worship. Was this written in the 21st century? <laughs> sounds like it, doesn't it? Non-believers, here's what I want you to get. Non-believers think it's strange that you do not do the many wild and wasteful things they do. So, what do they do? They insult you. That's what they do. They insult you, but they will have to explain this to God. What's he saying? He's saying that when you choose Christ, when you choose the world, you get a new life and you get an eternal purpose in that life. You get the satisfaction and fulfillment from knowing that you're doing something with your one and only life that is eternal value both for you and for the people around you. Guys, there is no greater feeling on the planet than that, knowing that I'm living my life in a way that has an impact. You want a high that lasts, there's a high that lasts. Hear me, when you get that, So what if you're insulted by some people out there that don't understand the decisions that you made? So what if they make fun of you and call you a holy roller? (laughs) Big deal, because you've got real satisfaction. You've got real depth. You know that life has greater meaning than the junk that they're giving their lives to. And you realize that a lifestyle based in fun is just plastic. It's a false purpose that leads to, what did I say, stunted growth, to relational conflict, to temptation to do wrong, and ultimately death, all of which ultimately has to be accounted to, to God. So if you're thinking, well, Pastor, that, that makes sense. Um, sounds easy, sure. You need to understand Satan is not creative, but he is tenacious. You make that choice, he's not going to say, whoop, okay, lost another one, let's move on to the next one. He isn't going to let go. In fact, I jokingly say sometimes when I'm leaving a group of people, I'll say, okay, guys, I'm headed out. I'm going to do something the devil won't do. I'm going to leave you alone. Anybody agree with he never leaves you alone? That's just kind of the way it is. Well, guess what that's an indicator of? He ain't got you if he won't leave you alone because once he got you, he ain't worried about you. 
You need to understand that, and you need to be careful and aware that when he does come, and he will, he's not going to come, you know, with, with horns and a pitchfork. He's not going to come as some monster-looking thing to terrify you. He's tenacious, but he's also subtle. He only has three tricks, but he's really, really good at them. And he eases you into it, slips you into it before you even realize what's happened. You've gone down the slippery slope to the trap of pleasure as a reason for living. Let me tell you the journey. Some of you may identify that journey in your past. Some of you may identify that journey in your life right now. But let's just walk through it first is the fascination stage of the journey. Can I tell you that, that I've worked with a lot of people over the years that, uh, that wound up addicted to something, and I've never met a single one of them that started out as an addict, never intended to be an addict. They didn't... They didn't take drugs believing that it would eventually take over their lives. They didn't drink alcohol believing that it would eventually take over their lives. They didn't start eating believing that one day they would be a compulsive eater. They didn't look at pornography believing that one day it would consume their lives and destroy their relationships. But somewhere along the way with every one of them, there came that point where they simply asked the question, I wonder what that would be like. I wonder what it would be like to eat that to drink that, to snort that, to shoot that, to do that. I wonder what it would be like, which moves into the second stage of this journey, which is the preoccupation stage. What was curiosity has now become an occupation in your mind. Let me illustrate it lightly. Let's say you go buy a boat. And Saturday comes and you're excited and you go out on the boat and you have a great time. You just have so much fun. You come back and you're really excited. And so next week at work, you're telling all your friends about your new boat and what a great time you had. And, and in time, you know, you're going out on the Saturdays. Eventually, it becomes so much fun that you're thinking about it while you're at work. You can't get any work done because you're thinking about the next thing you're going to do to your boat. And before you know it, you're not just going on Saturdays. Now it takes the whole weekend to get your boat fixed in. And so somebody calls and says, hey, man, we're kind of short with bridge kids this weekend. Can you help out? Oh, I'd love to. But you know, we're going uh, uh, to be on the boat. Before you know it, you're daydreaming about retiring early so you can go up and down the intercoastal waterway. It becomes, this moves from fascination to this preoccupation, which is a simple step over to stage three, which is the addiction stage. And at this stage, you find yourself doing it more and more to get less and less to the point that you start hiding yourself from the people that you love the most and hiding how much you're doing it from everybody in your life. At this point, you're not doing it because you want to. You're doing it because you need to. The law of diminishing returns has kicked in big time. The law of balance has taken all the fun out of it, but you can't stop, which leads to stage four, which is the destruction stage. Philippians chapter 3 verse 19, their future is eternal loss for their God, lowercase g, is their appetite. Pleasure at this point is the furthest thing from your mind that is beginning to cost you everything that matters, 
At this point, what you need to understand is that you've begun building a wall that separates you from everybody and everyone that matters to you. You've started building a wall between you and God. You've started building a wall between you and the people of God. And in the initial stages, you think this is no big deal. It's not a big deal. (coughs) It's not a problem. I can handle it. I'm not addicted. But the reality is you've started building a wall that ultimately leads in separation and death. Need you to understand how critical this is and how subtle it is that it moves from the curiosity stage all the way to the death stage of this journey. Tragic the numbers of people in our society that have fallen into this trap. Have you you seen the billboard up on 70? More people die from opioid overdose in America than from car accidents now. I looked it up this week out of curiosity. Um, Uh, 47,000 Americans died last year from opioid overdose. 130 people a day, and not a single one of them set out to be addicted. But that's ultimately where they landed. And that's just one drug. We could be talking about all kinds of drugs. In fact, we could have used anything. We could have talked about drinking. We could have talked about eating. We could have talked about binge-watching Hallmark movies. Come on. Anything can become an addiction when it starts to take over, and any addiction ultimately leads to death. And the devil is is laughing all the way to the soul bank, and I'm fed up with it. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. I'm ready to put my foot down and say, nope, say no more. You ain't having my sons and you ain't having my daughters and you ain't having my neighbors and you ain't having our church members. You're a liar and a loser and I'm done with you. Nope, Satan, not today or tomorrow or any other day. I'm ready to be free of his traps. Anybody with me? Yeah. Yeah. The first step is you're going to find your real purpose in life. you got to quit saying TGIF. In fact, start saying OBIS. Oh, boy, it's Sunday. <laughs> and we'll get my worship on. And we'll get in the Word. I'm going to get reinforced for the battle that's coming next week. The second key to this journey is you've got to, you've got to build a balanced life. You've got to build a balanced life. I say that because... So often when we realize we're falling into the pleasure trap, our response is to over-adjust. You know what I'm saying? When, uh, pendulums that go to an extreme and they realize they're in an extreme, do they go back to balance? No, they tend to go to the other extreme, don't they? And it's a real challenge to get to balance. And so hear me when I say we were not designed to play all the time, but we were also not designed to work all the time. In fact, the Ten Commandments, I did not say the Ten Suggestions, I said the Ten Commandments. One of them says, work six days and rest one. Now, I don't believe for a minute that what God meant was sit in your recliner and watch Hallmark movies all day. Let's shoot me now, you know. Uh, but one day out of seven, you ought to do something different. You ought to do something that's renewing, restorative, refreshing, re- re- recreative in you. If you work with your hands all week, you might want to do something with your mind on the weekend. If you work with your mind all week, you may want, I like to go into my shop and work with wood on the weekend. You just do something that's different, that's restoring and renewing to you. That's what you ought to do at least one out of seven. 
In fact, the way it was taught to me many years ago, and I've tried very hard to maintain, is that you need a daily diversion. You may want to write this down somewhere. A daily diversion. Every day you ought to do something out of the norm that's just renewing to you. Maybe it's a quiet time, reading the scripture and praying. Maybe it's just getting quiet and thinking about life and relationships, whatever. But a daily diversion from the mundane. A weekly withdrawal, one out of seven, pulling away from what you normally do to do recreation, and then an annual abandonment. I tell the staff here when, when I do go on vacation, I'll say, uh, don't call me. At one time I said, uh, don't call me unless the, the building is burning. In fact, don't call me if the building's burning because I can't do anything about it. Call the fire department. Just, you know, let me know after the fact what happened because you guys can handle it. You, know, you just got to pull away. You got to turn off the emails and turn off the cell phone and get away. It's critically important that you do that from time to time. In fact, hear me when I say this. I'm going to put it on the screens because I want you to get it. Several people took a picture of this and posted it uh, even after first service this morning. If you don't build healthy pleasures into your life, you will get drawn into unhealthy ones because God gave us everything in order to enjoy our lives. One in seven ought to be restorative in nature. Can I tell you? that I love God's purpose for my life. I just, I love what God made me to do and be. It's, it's the honor of my life to be the senior pastor of the bridge and to watch God work. It's the honor of my life to help plant churches across America and in other countries. It's just fulfilling beyond any words that I can describe to know that God put me on the planet with a purpose, and then I get to fulfill that purpose. But I also love golf. I also love roller coasters. I drove to Sandusky, Ohio one time just because I got a new roller coaster. I even love the Redskins. Okay, it's true. I love ice cream. But if I ate it three meals a day, I'd get sick in time. You hearing what I'm saying? Find that balance. Some of you, maybe you're on the pleasure side of this equation. For some of you, maybe you're on the workaholic side of this equation. And something drives you saying, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. Either one of those ultimately, guys, will prevent you from being the fulfilled person that God has called you to be. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How many are willing to admit with me right here in church that's easier said than done? Yeah. Even when you know it's destructive. On March 1st, we're calling it Break Free Sunday. I'm going to teach you how. We're going to go to the book of Revelation, and I'm going to teach you how to break free from all of the traps that we'll be talking about during this series. Uh, and so I hope you'll make plans to be here, watch online, take advantage of that opportunity. For now, I have a simple testimony from somebody who went down the road that I've just described to you and got free. He describes himself this way in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Anybody been there, done that? Yeah. 
But fast forward in his life, he later writes to one of his spiritual sons, Titus. It's the Apostle Paul who's we're talking about. He writes to Titus, in the past, we also were slaves. We were addicted to many things our bodies wanted and enjoyed. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior was shown, he saved us because of his mercy, receiving the life that never ends. The point simply is that, that life in all its fullness is available. You don't have to stay trapped in the pleasure-craving trap. You can be free. You also don't have to become a workaholic to find fulfillment in life. You can find freedom in Christ. It's available to you. March 1st, we'll talk about how in great detail. For now, there are three commitments I told you last week we're going to make every week through this series. Commitment number one is I will seek the truth. Say it with me. I will seek the truth on this subject, in this context. Here's what I'm asking you to pray this week. Lord, is there an imbalance in my life that's caused me to get caught in this trap? Is there a pleasure that I'm either fascinated with, preoccupied with, addicted to, or it's leading to my destruction? Tell me the truth about what's going on in my life, Lord. It's so much easier to see it in other people than it is to see in ourselves. But the psalmist David said, Lord, turn your searchlight on me and show me if there's something I need to know. So I will seek the truth about me and the pleasure trap. The second commitment we're going to make is I will believe the truth. Let's be honest, guys. We all know things about our lives that probably need to do something about, but we're either in denial or procrastination about it. And so I will seek the truth about what's going on in my life, but when I, when I find it, I will believe it. I'll embrace it. I'll say, okay, I'm, God loves me just the way I am, but he loves me too much for me to stay the way I am. I'm going to do something about this. Beliefs become behaviors, which leads us to the third commitment. I will act on the truth. I'm not just going to seek it. I'm not just going to embrace it when I hear it but I'm going to act on the truth. March 1st, Break Free Sunday, I'm going to show you how. I hope you'll plan to be a part of that service today, for that day. For now, bottom line is you've got to live for something. You've got to live for something. If not for God, then something else. The question is, are you living for something that leads to life or something that leads to death? Choose Christ and his word and get life. Choose culture, the world, and get death. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, you see us, you know us, you know who we are. So we're asking you, even right now, in the stillness of this moment, that you would show us the truth about ourselves there's anything in our lives that has lured us in to stunted growth, relational conflict, temptation to do wrong things, or death, would you show it to us now? 
As we seek your face this week, would you reveal it to us, Lord? It's kind of like a rock that's been sitting there for a long time. I don't want to turn it over because there may be all kinds of creepy crawlies under there, but I know it's the only way healing comes, so I'm going to turn the rock over, Lord. Show me what's going on. When you show it to me, I'll embrace it. I'll believe it. But I won't just believe it. I'll do something about it. Thank you for the privilege of knowing that you love me just the way I am, that your grace is available to help me to rise above the pleasure trap to be free. I pray that that's exactly what's going on as we make these commitments this morning. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm going to let you go in a minute, but I want you to pray a prayer with me. Along these lines, you can pray silently, pray aloud, pray in your own words, but you that are online watching with us this morning, pray with me. Go something like this. Jesus, I want life. I choose Christ. I choose to make the Bible, the Word of God, the foundation for my life. Forgive me for the times that I've allowed the world and the culture to influence my thinking more than Christ or the Word. Let today be a fresh start, a new beginning. I don't want Satan to have dominion in my life. I want Christ to be in charge. So today, I choose Christ. Father, you know who's praying. You know exactly where they are in their spiritual journey. Would you give them the assurance that your grace is extended to them in this moment simply because of that prayer? In Jesus' name. And all God's people said,